You are listening to the Savage Fincast, Episode 6, Savage Worlds and Mean Supremes. Chicago. A criminal mastermind called Overlord held our city in his terrifying grip. Ordinary cops were losing the battle against Overlord's super freaks and mutants. Then, a miracle happened. When I found him, he had no memory of his past. I helped him find an identity and a life. Now we have a fighting chance. Now we have the dragon. This is the Savage Fincast, coming to you live from all points of the globe. From uh, southeastern Connecticut, I'm Jim. From the northwest, I'm Adam. From Philly, I'm Craig, and it's great to be back. It's good to be back. It's been a while since we recorded. It's uh, been a while. and uh, How long has it been? About a month and a half? I think over a month since we recorded, but about a month since I put up the previous podcast. So, yeah. Long bit of stretch. I'm uh, happy to be back and talk about these books again, you know? It is good. For sure. Get right into uh, the few news bits that we have. Um, we got new solicitation information and a cover for Savage Dragon 184, uh, titled called The Trial of Savage Dragon. And the text, uh, the text goes... When he was Emperor Kerr, Savage Dragon came close to destroying the world. Now his past deeds come back to haunt him, as the Savage Dragon is brought up on charges. This is the one battle he may not win. Savage Dragon is on trial, and things may never be the same. Of course, the probably the biggest news about this issue is the price of Savage Dragon is going up. Uh, it's been three fifty for a while now. This issue is apparently three ninety nine. Which, to be fair, in my recent, um, as I've been paying attention to such things, three ninety nine is apparently becoming the new three fifty, pretty much in industry industry wide. Uh, most of the books I'm getting from other companies are running three ninety nine these days, so it's probably not shocking that Savage Dragon has been forced to follow suit. Yeah, it's a lot of the low print run books are three ninety nine. I yeah. mean, yeah. Course. A lot of doesn't isn't like all of IDW books all of them three ninety nine and honestly yeah. I, I hate that that they're all three ninety nine and honestly I don't think I get I don't I personally don't feel I get value out of most of IDW's books for that at that price point. Um, Savage Dragon, of course, is definitely a book I would pay many many dollars for before I decided to drop it. But we are a minority. I mean, if you're a new reader. To Savage Dragon, three ninety nine price point, I think hurts. You know, I mean, I understand it's probably something Eric has to do to, you know, make it a profitable book. And you know, yeah, let's it's, face it, it's he's, necessary. He's got to make money to to keep it going. It's not something he can do for free. But um, it does hurt. You know, I have to be honest. If all of my books go up to three ninety nine, I'm going to be reading a whole lot less. I mean, as it is now, I don't like to spend much more than three fifty on. A book, and I think there's only a couple of books I do spend more than 354. Like Elephant Men, maybe one, and that's you know the content of that is even a lot more than the average book. But yeah, um, 
I won't quit Savage Dragon because I just I like it too much. But there's not many other books I would I'm willing to pay that much for at this point. To be fair, Image does have a very high percentage of books that are still at two ninety nine. Granted mm-hmm. that they are their best sellers, of course, or their newest properties, their hot properties, whatever. Um, and it's unfortunate that Savage Dragon isn't one of them. But Image does tend tend to do a little better job than even Marvel and DC at keeping their their most popular books down at the two ninety nine price point, which while is still pretty expensive at, at, at the end of the day, is more I don't know, it's the norm, I guess. Well, yeah, I mean, we, where there are, and it's not just Marvel and DC, but there are plenty of companies where they'll go, this book is selling like gangbusters, so we can raise the price and people will still buy it. Whereas the point of view of, like, Eric or, you know, Eric Stevenson is more along the lines of, we don't want to raise the price unless we have to. You know, let, it, there, it's definitely not a, you know, not that you guys were saying this, but it's definitely not a cash grab or anything like that. It, in this case, it's absolutely necessary. And it's yeah. too bad that it's necessary. Um, but also to Eric's credit and to Image's credit, like you guys were saying, um, not a lot of other companies priced books at 350 Like the a lot of uh, Marvel and DC titles made the jump from 299 to 399 Right, you know, like that—that—that that, that was the jump, and I was looking at um, the last few times that Dragon's price has gone up, and um, the cool thing, and one thing I know about Eric is, is that he hates how expensive comics are right now, and he's tried to keep the book as cheap as it can be for as long as possible. Like, you know, it was two fifty for a long, long time, and then it was two ninety five for a, a long time. You know, before going up to 299, like, and and then 350, like, uh, he just like those increments are obviously much smaller than going up like a full dollar. Right. And um, also, you know, it's been actually nearly 50 issues at this point since the last price increase. So that I, I take a little bit of solace in that, and, and knowing that you know this is kind of the direction a lot of books are heading, and. It's unfortunate, but the book is still, you know, still in the top 300, and I'd like it to be doing a lot better, obviously. But um, you know, it needs to do what it needs to do to survive. And I think we always say this about all, all, you know, the other books that we talk about on the show. But um, people need to get the word out there, and people need to pre-order their their titles. And um, you know, it's not inconceivable that on some books prices could could go down. It, it has happened, and and it's just a matter of you know if if more people are reading again and um, yeah anyway I don't, yeah. sorry to go on. <laughs> well, I wonder how this is gonna affect uh, the price for the comic in the digital format. My guess is that it will just be the same price in print and in digital, but I could be wrong. I thought part of the reason why he kind of upped the price for like the I think on the digital, the first week it came out, the price was always like four bucks or something because iTunes or something couldn't go to like three fifty or I don't know. Yeah, the Apple has a thing about doing ninety nine cent or dollar increments, like they won't do three fifty. Yeah, so I think 
I think the thinking was you you know made it more expensive and then dropped the price down after it's been out for a while, but I could be wrong on that. And yeah, I think at Comicology it go it's it, the, the issue on the first month is three ninety nine, and then uh, a month later it goes down to one ninety nine. Uh, yeah. I, I might want to fact check that, but I think yeah, that's I think almost all the back issues after a month are are one ninety nine. Right. So I maybe, guess maybe yeah. I'm guessing it's probably just gonna stay the same but i could I be wrong yeah i know new 299 books like glory start at 299 and then a month later go down to 199 so yeah savage dragon gives you a two dollar savings you can't beat that deal <laughs> that's I mean, true and the, the other big news i mean not you know we're focusing on the price and you know it sucks but the other big news on this is it seems like that dragon's coming back to earth officially i don't know unless there's some kind of trial in space but it makes it sound like you know he's standing trial on earth so is he gonna come back to like a you know a, a major role in in the book or, or throw what? him in the slammer i was gonna say i think that may help eric um in terms of you know there's a lot of things that you have no idea like variables that you can't control in terms of what do you do to get more people to read your book but i regardless of what us like sort of diehard fans think of the book, there are people that would like to see dragon more center stage again. And, and even though like the book is sort of about Malcolm and dragon now, uh, I think if, you know, one of the things that could help is if dragon takes more of a, um, a larger role again at some point. Cool. So we want to talk about the next bit of news. Sure. We have, um, Eric sort of updated us recently on the status of the um, Savage Dragon Ultimate Collection, which is the you know new line of hardcovers that was solicited earlier this year. Um, I think it was originally solicited to launch in June, but um, they've they've just been it's been rife with problems, uh, mostly having to do with the coloring. And uh, originally the issue was. Um, their old files were of a defunct format that they couldn't use anymore. Their old color files, and so, they, so his, you know, decision that he was faced with, which he was actually talking with us about uh, the first time he was on the show, was, do I have the old pages recolored, like by Steve Olive or somebody, um, or do I scan in pages from the printed books? And the problem is always. The scan, scanning in stuff from printed books never looks as good, um, but the technology is getting better, and uh, there have been some reprint collections, you know, more recently in the last few years from from every company that where they've been printing stuff scammed from, you know, printed comics uh, that's looked pretty good, and it sounded like that was the direction he was he was leaning towards because having them recolored is going to cost money and time and it's, they're not going to look like the original books looked if they're, if they're recolored necessarily. Um, but more recently it sounds like there's actually a lot more color files lost than previously thought. And, uh, he is now talking about having them recolored by, um, Abel Moten, who was, uh, along with Ruben Rude, um, one of the original Savage Dragon colorists, uh, with International House of Color and, and, worked on, you know, damn near everything for that first hundred issues or so. So that might be a, a sensible choice if you want to get somebody who's going to recapture the look of those original 
original issues. So I guess we'll just, you know, keep you guys updated as we hear developments and things. And um, But it's probably going to be a little while before we see these books. Uh, it just it, it sucks for, you know, Eric in terms of, like, you know, you got these new books like Invincible or whatever. It would just put trades out and ultimate collections out because the technology, you know, they are around with the newer technology and it's, you know, so much easier than to go back, you know, through the yeah. 20 years of Dragon now and try to put these back out and, and make these ultimate collections. And it seems like Yeah, because they have these like IBM pre-Photoshop files that nothing will open now. Right. For, for some of those old comics. And, um, you know, it, it sucks, but... <laughs> it's uh i think it will be a good idea to make them look as good as they can look right and and once they start getting going i think um that kind of initial hiccup of the coloring once that's taken care of then um you know the books could get on a pretty good program because there's a lot of stuff to choose from and there's clearly been interest from a lot of people i see people posting online all the time saying things like you know i know that the series is available digitally but i'd like to read it in the printed format and i really just want some like big hard covers or something and so they're on their way you know of course now i'm wondering what they're using for the source for the digital uh copies that it's that scan that scan that scanned stuff those are scanned from printed comics Hmm. the the oldest stuff yeah, I mean, I think that's a major obstacle for a lot of people to get into Savage Dragon is that they don't want the digital version and they want collected editions. And especially the way Dragon, you know, kind of the collected editions skip around to, to you know, mm-hmm. volume 15 and then there's, you know, another space, you know, what, what's the space between volume 15 and before that there's like 20 issues or so. Yeah, and then there's no trades for nearly 100 issues. And it's hard because if you're going to have a trade paperback for every five or six issues, we're closing in on 200 issues. That's a lot of books. It's a lot of books to keep in print. And so it's sort of hard to decide. I know for a while he was kind of waffling on, like, I don't even know if we should have a trade program. And now he's brought it back a little bit, but it's I'm not sure if he's going to go back and collect everything in trades, but right. definitely the intention is to get everything in the ultimate collections. And in, in addition to getting everything in the ultimate collections from like Savage Dragon, also in, incorporating some of the spin off stuff, like a couple of the issues of Freak Force here and there, and maybe Vanguard here and there, where it's really, really story essential. And obviously the uh, black and white archives, those will also con- continue. You know, just um, those have other production uh, things uh, holding them up, but. The art is there, and, and, and it just they need to do some scanning and do some you know kind of toning work on, on some of the stuff um, where they have effects that were done in color before and were didn't exist in the black and white art, and so now have to be reproduced in black and white like star fields, and yeah, um, so it just it's just you know work that has to be done, but those will continue and those will collect everything. Right, right. I mean, just like I was saying though, it's like almost with trades it's like you either have to have all or none sometimes because i feel like like with me like if you're going to collect like a series like 100 bullets sign you're not going to want to get you know trades one through five and then get the single issues you know for a 20 issue run and then collect more trades people are going to collect trades usually they like to have like the full run of trades 
and Dragon just doesn't have that, and I think that hurts, you know, him trying to get new fans. It's if people are gonna buy trades like the new trades he put out, they're gonna want to have a complete run of trades for the most part. I mean, you get some people that don't mind, but there's a lot of anal guys, and I'm one of them that, you know. No, it's true. I'm sort of a half-and-half guy myself. I I have the first 50 issues of Dragon in trade, and then I have from, like, 90 to current, and I'm happy. I don't feel I have to buy the trades or stuff I've already bought, at least not yet. I'm probably going to buy hardcovers of everything at some point for posterity. Mm -hmm. But, um... Yeah, I generally don't care either what... But at the same time, I, I understand because I, I do care about a couple of series, like having them in that format or whatever. And just in general, I mean, I think you're totally right, Craig, with, with once those books are out, you know, even in Ultimate Collections, collecting, I don't know, 12 to 20 issues of pop or wh- whatever it's going to be, um, there's still going to be a ton of them, even if they're those really fat books, yeah. there's going to be a, a ton of them. and. If the, those are, you know, if, if the odd volume is sitting on the shelf in, in, you know, your local comic shop or at a library or whatever, people are just going to happen upon them and they're going to be like, oh, yeah, I've always been meaning to get into this. Like, I'm glad to see that now there are some, you know, proper volume, like library editions or whatever that we can actually read the whole thing. And uh, I, I think it'll, it'll only help. Um, so. Cool. So the, the third bit of news for this episode and the last bit of news, I think, is uh, the Supreme Issue 67 solicitation and cover have been released to the internets. And it's a shocker. It's pretty cool. Um, the so- solicitation reads, from the pages of Invincible comes the most – oh, I lost my page. Hold on a minute. <laughs> From the pages of Invincible comes the most requested Supreme opponent of all time. Enter Omni-Man. Supreme is out of control. Suprema is at death's door. And Ethan Crane is in a bad way. Can even Omni-Man <laughs> hope to save the day? And uh, the cover is pretty cool. It's an homage to uh, the cover of Superman 267. So in the original Superman 267, you see Superman fighting Captain Marvel. I want to say that was the first time officially the two had ever crossed over. Is that right? I think I want to say that. Uh, <laughs> I know there had been a few uh, fake outs in the past, but I, don't, I think that was the first time now that DC had all the rights to do Captain Marvel. And uh, so they had mm. the, big, the big crossover. I don't even know what year that was. I'm guessing the 70s. Yeah. I don't know anything about it except for that little tidbit. In the original cover, you know, it's it's – well, you got Superman in the new cover, you got Supreme, and then we had uh, Captain Marvel, you have Omni-Man. And then below him is like a crowd of people kind of running out of the way, and the, and the, the type on the, you know, the words on the text on the cover says, the story you thought we'd never dare print, the fight to decide the superhero championship of the world, which is pretty healthy, <laughs> funny. And Eric just totally used the same captions. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I guess on the cover... It confused a lot of people because Eric used the traditional Omni-Man kind of uh, outfit costume that you know he was in on the first you know ten or so issues of Invincible, the kind of red and blue you know superhero type costume as opposed to what he kind of wears now. 
Um, but I think Eric said that was just for the cover, but he's going to actually be wearing his regular duds in the inside. Right, like it's not a flashback story. It's no. current on him. Yeah. No. So um, it's kind of a cool cover and a cool concept. It'd be, it'd be pretty cool to see, you know, how, you know, they fare against each other. Um, they're the two kind of heavy hitters of the Image universe. Yeah, it, it'll be cool to see what he does to sort of give the nod or tie it into Alan Moore's Omni-Man. Um, because that's been a question that everybody has been, a lot of people have been asking since Eric took over Supreme. It's been like, oh, well, there was an Omni-Man in the Alan Moore run. Uh, and I didn't you know, realize that. Yeah, because Ethan Crane is a comic book artist, and the comic right. that he does is Omni-Man. Ah. Oh, and, right. And the the book that in the first, in the last Alan Moore issue, the Eric's first issue, the, the book that Darius Dax reads that makes him realize that the supremacy exists is they've done an Omni-Man story about, like, basically about the su- supremacy, except it's like the Omniverse, or it's called something like that, and it's... Uh, you know, where there are the, the Omni-Men from all the different uh, universes. Uh, so a comic within a comic kind of thing. And so maybe uh, that's going to be sort of the explanation. Maybe Invincible's Omni-Man is, is from the uh, yeah. Omniverse or the oligarchy or whatever it's called. Um, um, it's kind of just a fun way to tie in these just coincidental names. And, yeah. I wonder, I wonder if Kirkman's gonna have any input on this issue. I'm sure, you know, Eric's talked to him because he's using his character. But I wonder how much. But I know I suggested that I was well. I was wondering if uh, Eric had approached uh, Corey Walker or uh, Ryan Otley if they were gonna do any alternate covers, and he said that would be a neat idea. Yeah. Did you see Corey Walker said on Twitter that would be a neat idea, or something to that effect? Cool. Yeah, and you know we mentioned a little while ago one of the solicitations for the issue with Super Patriot, the original solicit said variant cover by Corey Walker. I think whoever was typing the solicitation just saw Corey yeah, and saw, thought, oh, Super Patriot, oh, it's Corey Walker, but it was obviously just Corey Hampshire, uh, uh, who's uh, you know uh, as the artist on the series doing you know a cover for each issue too, and um, so it would be awesome uh, if Walker did one. Uh, and this would be the perfect issue to do it for. Definitely, definitely. Okay, now I think we're going to talk about the latest issue of Supreme, number 67, that just came out. 64. Oh, right. 64. For a minute there, I was in the future. (laughs) You're going to talk about what we just talked about. All right, we're talking about uh, Supreme 64, latest issue of Supreme. Got the new logo on the cover. Pretty cool cover, all things... uh, being equal, um, I think a lot of people uh, drew the comparison that this cover was very similar to one of uh, Eric's classic Nova covers. Um, either of you know what they're talking about? Yeah, I mean, I think it's Nova 1 from his, uh, the series that he wrote and he was drawing the covers for for Marvel. and It's got that same Supremes in the same pose, you know, the same angle shooting up from the city. I don't know if that was intentional or not. There's probably only so many ways you can draw a guy flying up from a city. Yeah. 
Although you know, I, I don't think that's that's not a city. That that's his citadel, right? Yeah, but it looks like a city to me. It even looks like it has cars and stuff on the street. <laughs> it does, but I'm looking in the background. There's like a big Supreme statue, or is that like yeah. some, from Supreme? No, it's. I think it's supposed to be the Citadel. But it's like a it's it's like a globe. It, the the Nova cover was the same way. It was a wraparound. So yeah. You could see more of it, but it's it was like he was flying up from the this kind of globe city, um, which was just artistic representation. It wasn't supposed to, like this. Actually, is a globe city, but. Uh, oh no, New York's a globe. <laughs> um, all these all these Supremes on the cover are they all previously established in the Alan Moore run? Um, I don't I think really. so. I mean, there might there might be one or two of them that are uh, just kind of that look like Supreme, just kind of generic. But um, Lady Supreme and seventies uh, Black Supreme. I don't remember what what her, her, if she has a, a different name than that. And um, Squeak the Supreme House and like Fifty Supreme. What's yeah. the What's the Lion guy's name? I don't Lion Supreme, but yeah, he's he's in the Alan Moore room. How about the green blob guy? I didn't even see him in the book. Yeah, that's probably a new one. Pretty neat. Opens right up where the previous issue left off with all the uh, Daxes attacking. Uh, it's it's, just, it's called a Citadel, right? Oh, the Citadel Supreme. They're, they're all riding in to lay siege to the Citadel Supreme. Does, um, what city... Is the Citadel Supreme floating over, or is that never specified? Um, Ever in like any run. See, I'm I'm new to Supreme, and it's just weird to me. You you look at that splash, and the city looks futuristic. It, it looks like the city's got these big golden statues in it. I'm not, I'm not talking about the the Citadel, but if you actually look on that splash on the city, yeah, as I see someone it. new to Supreme, I, I I don't know what that is, but. I imagine it's some kind of like metropolis type city. There is a metropolis type city that I don't know the name of. I don't know if the Citadel is supposed to be right over it or or if it's just right over it now or what. Mm-hmm. I don't remember what it, it's mega megalopolis or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And it's not really that important to the story per se, but I just don't know anything about it. I'm coming in new. Of course, we got this, the big splash page for the Dax we met last issue and his uh, um, Diana girlfriend alternate Dax. A uh, whole bunch of background Daxes. You're always looking for the Easter eggs. There's all sorts of little nods. I almost want to say this one looks like he's Karate Kid from the Legion of Superheroes, but don't quote me on that. There's a Nick Fury looking one. He's got an eye patch and everything. Yep. I think in the previous issue too, there were even more kind of Marvel looking guys. I wonder if um, the D on his chest is supposed to be D Man. He's kind of got a Batman hood on. <laughs> Dax Man or something. Dax Man. Yeah. yeah. And all of the the Supreme guys are all the Suprematon, so they're just like robot servants for Supreme. Is that how it goes? I guess they they're just kind of. Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're, uh, that's one of the kind of direct Superman analogs. This was the, you know, Superman was also a super genius, and, and that was the, it's the same deal with Alan Moore's Supreme. With He has these Suprematons who 
sort of uh, run the Citadel, uh, kind of the all the stuff that the real Supremes don't do, and they, you know, function in the stories as stand-ins for Supreme from time to time, things like that. Gotcha. Public appearances, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. You got that page uh, after that, you know, it's, it's funny because it's like Supreme just trying to get busy with his lady friend, you know. <laughs> and uh, he's under attack, and then you get that line, look up in the sky, so it's like a, you know, a riff on Superman. Gotta say, uh, they got the clothes on really fast. They did. He's well. I could see Supreme. He's isn't he? He's got the speed like Superman. So yeah, Diane's got her shoes on and everything. <laughs> um. So when the everything's getting destroyed, and I guess in the Citadel is like you know he's like Superman. He kind of collects all these different trophies. Mm-hmm. And they're all falling apart. I had no idea what that monkey thing was, it's except for a monkey kind of falling through the sky. But I assume it's—I don't know. Was he taxidermy? Is like, uh, yeah, yeah. Super he's, a, he's a trophy. <laughs> Omegopolis. Omegopolis is the name of the city. The thing that cracks me up is. And I don't know how this is explained. Is you know the citadel gets toppled. I guess it destroys a huge portion of the city, and you know Supreme gets out of there, and the different Darius guys with like Darius Duck and you know King Darius or whatever point, and they're like, "Look, we flushed them out into the open." Well, how do they don't? How come they just assume it's him and not like a Suprematon? You know. How well, they, they, know? they were they they had been destroying most of the suprematons in the in the previous uh, pages. I assume they thought they got them all or something. Oh, uh, okay. And they they go down pretty easy. You see them getting blown up like in a couple of panels. Right. And uh, we see um, Supreme um, worrying that uh, what is it called? Supremium. That's it. Supremium. Mm-hmm is uh, getting loose when the Citadel crashed and his powers are getting sapped because uh, apparently it's his kryptonite. Yeah, all the different colored Supremiums do different things, but they're they're all, uh, um, you know, again, one of those Silver Age things of, you know, one of them makes him mad and one of them is, you know, hurts him and all that kind of stuff, all that fun stuff. Gotcha. Of course, then we uh, we see the uh, the various Daxes cleaning up the rest of the Supreme uh, Supreme Suprematons. Yeah, Suprematons. You gotta love uh, that transvice transvestite Dax. Is that what that is? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he is uh, not looking too good. <laughs> And, uh, the two Dax, the, the Dax we met last, the, this Dax is the one from this time period or Earth or however the supremacy works. He uh, yeah took over for uh, whatever. He killed the other the other Dax and took over his took his clothing, hanging out with his girlfriend. Yeah, you could say this is our Supremes Dax, right? Like, so the, the... Or, or Alan Moore's Supreme Stacks, yeah. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> well, he was, he was only just introduced, right, in, in, in uh, 
in in issue chronological terms, he was only introduced a couple of issues ago, right? Like I said, sort I sort of because there was there was there he was around and Supreme beat him, and then he came back by way of uh, you know showing up at the. Um, the Dax version of the supremacy. I don't remember what it's called. You know, like after he was taken out of continuity, after Supreme defeated him, he appeared in the, you know, Dax universe. Uh, and so he's actually been around for almost the entire, like pretty much Alan Moore's entire run. Um, and uh, he's been in mul- different people's bodies and stuff. Okay. So they, they end up opening the portal to the supremacy. And you get a great splash page with all the different versions of Supreme. And I guess, you know, there's a ton of them. And I guess that was the whole plan of the different Daxes is to lead them to the supremacy portal. So that the minute they found it, they could shoot a missile at it and close it off. Um, so it looks like a bunch of the Supremes get out. But also a bunch of them are either killed or sealed off. If I'm reading that right. Right, so when the missiles yeah. hit and blow up the rest of the Citadel, the whatever portal gets closed, right? Well, no, it can't be, because later on they go back in. Do they go back in? Remember, that's where um, Liefeld Supreme is still held. Gotcha. I guess they're just blowing up the Citadel to create more confusion to give them a better, more upper hand. Well, there's a, a ton of, I mean, he's, he's, you know, Gasp, no, Billy Friday, Judy Jordan, they couldn't possibly have survived that. That they're there because there are a whole, uh, you know, number of versions of Supreme supporting Jimmy Olsen and Lemon Lois Lane and Lena Lang uh, equivalents, like in the Supremacy. So, like the human characters that were on the Supremacy when it gets blown up are See, probably I, I, mostly all dead. I don't know the details when he's... See, I don't know any of those characters, so I sort of assume that they lived in, on the Citadel because the thing's huge. It's like city-sized. I assume when the, so when the Citadel blew up, they died with that. I didn't realize they lived in the Supremacy itself. Yeah, I think it's sort of one of... I think it's... I sort of know what you're saying, but I think it's more like it's... There's more overlap. It's more like it's one and the same thing. Like, oh, okay. Citadel is, is the home of the Supremacy. This big splash page with the missiles crashing in and blowing up the Citadel. If you look, if you look mm-hmm. to the left, you see all these like I guess they're supposed to be Sergeant Supremes. There's like three mm-hmm. of them. And they all wear helmets. Kind of. I guess they're probably a riff on the Captain Marvel sergeants. Sergeant Marvels. Yeah, I don't remember what those guys' names are, but they're they're from the. Oh, they had been previously yeah. established. Yeah, they? yeah. It looks like they don't survive though. I doubt it very much. Because you flip the next page and you see, you know, a guy's arm with a little sergeant symbol blown apart. And oh, that was his arm. Oh, okay. Eric oh, glasses. glasses. Oh, yeah, okay. yeah, you're right. <laughs> from what I'm getting from this, Eric is just kind of paring down all the variations of Supreme to, like, you know, the five or six. Most visually so, uh, unique. Yeah, they get rid of the big stone guy or whatever and... um. I don't really know the exact ones that survive. I guess on the last page when we get to that, that will kind yeah. of show us. But basically, what's funny is they he kills off. Uh, you know, he's gotten a lot of flack for killing off Radar, 
the the, the Hound Supreme. Right. Um, but you know, Alan Moore killed off Radar uh, in a far bloodier fashion, and like issues later, he went back and said, "Oh no, that was that was like the Suprematon. That was one of the robot radars." But in the issue where he was killed, you know, it wasn't actually supposed to be. Like, it was supposed to be the real radar at the time, because there's blood all over the walls. Like, it's not supposed to be a robot that yeah. killed off. Anyway, I just thought it was funny that Eric kind of caught some flack for it. But, Did uh, people complain yeah. back then? Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Probably they Probably did. not, because uh, it's now <laughs> more. Eric, Eric has been catching Eric's been catching a lot of flack from various online sources over uh, how he's uh, his first issue really plays out. I don't think they're paying attention very closely. Uh to what's really going on here. Like they're all complaining that, that, that he's killing all these characters, brushing them under the rug, whatever, but they're not paying attention to the fact that all these characters at the end are still around and they're still going to be relevant. Yeah. yeah. He's kind of damned if he does damn, he doesn't. You know, right. It, it's, it's gonna He's going to be castrated for ignoring the Alan Moore stuff or for doing anything to it. Right. You know, That's the thing. He's not ignoring it. it. So, he's using yeah. everything Alan Moore <laughs> provided. And intended yeah. to pass on to his uh, successor, so he's only just doing what Alan Moore wanted in the first place. So this is my question. This is where I'm confused. Okay. So now when they're flying to go get the quote unquote life failed, pissed off Supreme, um, to my understanding right now they've destroyed the gateway to the supremacy. Or am I wrong? I- I'm thinking that the supremacy gateway is destroyed. No one from the supremacy is getting in and out, and Lightfield. Well, do they go through a, a gateway here? It looks like they just go into a vault. Yeah. So is Lightfield like Supreme just, just locked up in the Citadel somewhere? No, because he's saying here, uh, um, um, more Alan Moore Supreme is saying back into the supremacy. But what what use is that? It's all been destroyed. Uh, Assuming that right. this big explosion at the Citadel destroyed everything in the supremacy, but not the gateway. So they fly in. They say. All my uh, okay. characters never stood a chance. So whatever they hit it with must have killed everyone not a Supreme and destroyed right. everything, which still lets them go in and gotcha. rescue and let loose uh, Dick Supreme. <laughs> and that's a great splash page with all the chains. and Yeah. There's some great splash pages in general in this particular issue. And, you know, I think what really makes them really great is that the, that the, the splashes bleed to the edges. I mean – I think we talked about this in Savage Dragon recently is that most of his splash pages are in a box and so they don't go to the edges. So you kind of feel – I mean it's cool in an old old fashioned sort of way. I mean it's cool as it is but when you get a big old splash page, it goes right to the edges of the page. It's boom. Yeah, the full bleeds just – Yeah. Yeah, I love full bleeds. That's true. I mean if you took this page with uh, Dick Supreme all chained up and you put a box around it, it wouldn't feel quite as you know big I guess. Yeah. Yeah, and you know while we're talking about this, I know it's always been like Eric, Eric, Eric. You know, Corey Hampshire's art on Eric's layouts has just been phenomenal. Yes, no, this is true. We're, we're uh, it should Corey, if you're listening to this, when we're talking about the art and this, every time we say Eric, you should just assume we're saying Eric and Corey, because we're, we're making that mistake. I think that a lot of people are are doing and putting it mostly on him when. I know Corey is doing full pencils and inks on top of Eric's like initial pencils, and uh, he's, I think he's doing a great job. I think they complement yeah. each other real well. So. Yeah, definitely. 
definitely. Um, so I, I love, you know, so you get that, that splash and, you know, uh, the Supreme we all know with the original Supreme or, you know, they have Supreme, about, whatever you want to call him. Yeah. The, you know, he's about to say, is it wise? It gives him about a split second where they kind of just start touching the chains and then he's busted out. <laughs> you, know, you blink your eye and he's gone. Tiny bit of slack and boom, he's got this, just enough leverage to bust out of everything. And I love how that, you know, that second panel <laughs> on that page is just like these glowing kind of little sparks. Yeah. The shackles are just busted. So it just gives you that, like, when you look at it, you can. it looks like almost like slow motion. Like, you see the, the chain just explode and he's gone. And, you know, you get the, the visual cue that it just, you know, it took less than a second. Yeah, the beats on this page. Yeah, yeah. That, that, the, everything that happened in that gutter right there, Scott McBloud would be proud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The transition from the, with the, Dax and uh, Diana Dax there to the panel of the, the skulls. That's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I just laughed out loud when I saw that. It's just so sudden. It's classic Eric Larson, really. It's one minute they're alive and talking and doing stuff, and the next minute they're skulls. Yeah, and not only is it like just a couple panels in the middle of the page, but it's like this is the arch villain. You know, this is the guy who led all of the Daria, the, all of the Daxes here. This is the guy that was, you know, the main villain in all of Alan Moore's run. And boop, he's gone. Yeah, not even saved for last. Just the very right. first victim, not even given any dignity in his death. Just. I guess that's heat. That must be heat vision. Yeah, either heat vision or he's just flying really fast. Yeah, but maybe it's just. I, I assume you're probably right. Yeah, probably. Vi- yeah, something like that. Heat vision. Yeah. Actually, yeah, it's probably his eye blast. So. Oh yeah, because he's blowing guys up on the next page with that too. You're right. And the next page is great because, you know, uh, Corey really gives him that life failed kind of look with the eyebrows and everything. It's they're they're, I assume it's intentional to really make him look like the life failed version of Supreme. Yeah, he puts all those extra lines on his face. Yeah, and you know, just even like, like you know ah. the way the way he draws like the nose and, and the eyebrows and the teeth, even if he doesn't do it for the rest of, you know, doesn't do it all the time. It still gives you that kind of, you know, that visual cue that, yep, this is the life field version. That's just kicking ass, ripping a uh, transvestite Dax apart. And the, just the expression on his face in that first panel uh, is hilarious. <laughs> Just his mouth and everything. He's just so yeah, mad. For as brutal, yeah, as brutal as it is, it's, it's funny. And so basically, it's just a pile of Dax guts. He just murders everyone in literally two pages. Mm-hmm. That's how fucking badass he is. <laughs> I love like '70s Black Supreme on the next page. He's just <laughs> like, "Ooh, that seemed to do it." <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm glad he kept her around. So now I have a question. Now, now, Supreme, badass, Dick Supreme, Lightfield Supreme, whatever you want to call him. Mean Supreme. I think we should call him Mean Supreme. All right, Mean Supreme. He he grabs the the silver Supremium. Now, how does that work? It seems like 
it captures their powers and it closes the box and he has all their powers in the box. Or no, it's, it's like gold kryptonite. If, if Superman's ever exposed to gold kryptonite, all his powers just go away. He becomes a normal person. And so I assume Silver Supremium does the same thing. They just being exposed to whatever light energy it's supposed to be just takes their powers away and that's it. And how do you yeah, get them that's back? That's how I read it. I don't. I think that's the big question mark. How do you get them back? Of course, I'm curious as to why specifically Mean Supreme is immune to it. I suppose because he was created outside of the rules that the other Supremes were. But yeah, uh, I have no that's idea. just a guess. Maybe it's having something having to do with he's so unnecessarily powerful. Like one of the reasons they kept him contained was because he was the most powerful, um, and not just like the most psychologically unstable of the Supremes, but the the uh, one who was had no restraints placed on his his power, presumably. Very good point. Very very good idea there. I believe it. And from what I'm hearing, I believe um, there was a recent article by uh, Russ Burlingame, who was talking to Eric about this issue. I think on ComicBook.com, or I think that's the name yep. of the site. Hopefully, I got that right. But he was saying that, you know, it's going to turn out, you know, like we've been saying too, it's not just about Mean Supreme. You're going to have all these five or six other Supremes that have survived still around in the book. And from what Eric made it seem like is I think he termed it like General Ross kind of dogging Hulk, like they'll be chasing after Mean Supreme for the next bunch of issues, trying to get, you know, the powers back or whatever. Well, we know, um, what's her name? Uh, what's Girl Supreme's name? Uh, Suprema? Suprema. Suprema's took off early in the fight, so we know she's still powered and out there. Mm-hmm. So, uh, and we, I mean, they got that cover coming up in two issues with her and Mean Supreme on the same cover, so we know that's going to play out in some fashion. Right. And the cover of the latest one, uh, 67, of course, has all the depowered Supremes right on the cover. So you know these characters are going to be relevant to the story for many issues to come. In fact, I'd almost want to say that in my, from my, just just from a, just from a, just a gut feeling I have is that they may even be the main characters for the next yeah. however many issues. And that Supreme is, like you said, he's going to be like the Hulk. He's like the thing that they have to try to stop or contain or talk sense to or whatever yeah yeah and i I like how um at the end of this issue eric did a little write-up which is pretty interesting but i also like how he said it's going to be a letters page for this too so it'll be interesting to see you know what kind of reaction he gets if he's going to post positive and negative how many why you're not alan moore letters (laughs) (laughs) which is the one thing that i i keep coming back to when i like I know that this take on Supreme is not going to be for everybody. And I know there are going to be people that, you know, just always hold the Alan Moore run in the highest regard. And, uh, and there are also going to be people that prefer the original Supreme. And, uh, but to, to want Eric to do, like, a riff on Alan Moore or to want him to... I don't know, imitate the style. I don't know, it just seems so it's nonsensical absurd. to yeah. me. Like, to want anybody to, to, to copy, you know, something that's been done before like that is just 
Well, it seems like if you're a really big Alan Moore fan, why would you want anybody to try to imitate him? Yeah. Like in terms of, in, in, not in terms of like, you know, a reference or a style or whatever, but but to try to do the same thing that he does. Right. You know, rather than why don't you just want that? Can't we just get like something new, like something that's right. uh, a new creator doing their own thing? And he's gone out of his way, you know, several times as, as saying like exactly what you guys are talking about with the sort of crew uh, saying, you know, this isn't a, it's not the original Supreme replacing the other Supreme. It's in addition to. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's going to go somewhere it hasn't been before. So, right, right. you know, I'm just in- interested to see what that means and where, where he's going because I well, have no idea what his plans are. So Just think of this character, too, in terms of, you know, being a creator-owned character. I mean, you could never do this with, like, a Marvel character. You couldn't make, you know, or a DC character. You couldn't make Superman go through these different phases, you know. If, a, you know, a new writer did come up, they would have to kind of follow the the Alan Moore way, you know, it would have to be like a, almost like a continuation, you know. I mean, I guess it's been done in Marvel where, you know, people have taken over and changed directions, but it can't stray yeah. too far. Well, they would go, oh, this thing was successful, so now we have to try and redo it. Yeah. And we have to milk it, and, they're, you know, obviously, like, the imitations are always, you know, they're always sort of pale in comparison. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's nice. It's really cool. I mean... You know, we've talked in past episodes that this is Image Comics' 20th anniversary. It's really cool to see where a lot of these characters that were around for the past 20 years at Image are now and how creators have been able to kill off guys and replace them or change things drastically. And it's just been fun to see that, whereas, you know, not a lot is different about Fantastic Four or Spider-Man or if it was different the things have reverted back, you know? Yeah, and nothing's different for very long. Yeah. Ultimately, you know, nothing, there's very few changes that are permanent. Yeah, Jonathan Hickman's doing, like, Jonathan Hickman's doing, like, all this crazy stuff in Fantastic Four, but you just know the moment he's gone, you're going to be right back to whatever status quo Stan and Jack left behind. Yeah. I mean, you look, look at Spawn's a completely different character. Savage Dragon's been taken over by, you know, his son, Malcolm. Um... You know, Shadowhawk has been different characters, you know, here and there. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you know I, I'm sure I'm missing somebody, but, you know, there's a bunch of different characters that have been made. Well, you know, all of that. Rob's all of Rob's new books are, are are different. Even the ones that are even the ones that are closer to, you know, the style and tone of, of the original titles like. You know, I don't think people realize this, but you know who's writing the new Youngblood comic is the guy who wrote Black Swan, the movie. Yeah, I heard that. Like, that's insane. The Youngblood comic is being written by John McLaughlin, uh, and and that's not something that I would have ever perceived for it. And I think that's really cool that we have this like, right. you know, person who has this probably really different sensibility doing a take on the, the book, even if aesthetically with the art by Liefeld and John Mallon, it still has that look. Right. You know. I, I really like the chances they're taking by putting all the people they're putting on these. So that does it for Supreme, I think. Yep, and um, I got a good feeling this book's going to come out relatively on time, so hopefully we'll be talking more about it month uh, every month. Right. 
So um, we also, just to keep this on target as a Savage Dragon podcast, I think we're going to do another retro review. Uh, I think this time we're going to talk about Savage Dragon 81. Um, do either of you want to put this book into context where, where Dragon was at the time? Sure. This is um, at the still sort of at the beginning. Uh, this is five or six issues into Eric's uh, Savage World arc where uh, he basically made the most drastic storytelling change in the title, uh, probably in the title's history, uh, where in issue 75, he sort of had the universe get uh, all fucked up. And in issue 76, the world is not as it was. Everything's different. Dragon wakes up and, you know things are changed and the world is a much harsher place. And uh, part of it is a callback to uh, Kirby's Commandy comics. And part of it was also Eric sort of going, you know, there's a few things that I've been doing in Savage Dragon that I'd like to do differently just to see how, how the story goes. And uh, one of those things is he almost never, ever used thought balloons and thought captions. Uh, and, so starting with the Savage World arc, he started using those. And he also, uh, like we were talking about with the splashes earlier, Dragon was traditionally full full bleed, like if not every page, then many, many pages of, of many issues. Um, this is He's going to a strict panel grid. Uh, and he's also doing something where at least in the first couple issues uh, of the Savage World arc, Dragon is is now like, really really the focus of the book whereas leading up to it so many of the subplots and the supporting character storylines had sort of gotten going and, and developed that uh he had become less of a prominent had, having less of a prominent role in his own book and the interesting thing that is easy to actually miss when you read them is that dragon is in every panel uh, I mean, he might not be in, in it by issue 81 here, the one that we're going to talk about, but in, in the first couple of the Savage World, when like 76, 77, he's in every panel. And uh, I never I never noticed it the first couple of read-throughs. Um, interesting thing also is because this was such a dramatic shift um, from the way the book had been previously, um, there's a lot of, there was a lot of pushback from fans who liked the book as it was and um were like what are you doing this is totally different and um i think there's still a lot of people who feel this wasn't one of the stronger eras of the book but i i love it i this is actually one of my favorite arcs of savage dragon ever and yeah um i think his art was at a peak here because he was so enthusiastic about what he was doing um i absolutely agree i think this you know this the 76 to like 81 is i think is the pinnacle for me of my favorite art of savage dragon and i think like you said it's because he was so into this and so excited about this yeah and and another cool thing to note is just uh you know i think i don't know if it was in the letters column or or he said it somewhere else at the time but um you know his kids had had grown up and, and, and were starting to read stuff and he's sort of realizing that, you know, my book isn't really appropriate for my own kids to read. And so maybe I had to pull back a little bit and, and do something that's a little bit 
you know, more all ages. And um, I don't think the book suffered for it at all. I don't think you would necessarily know that unless you were looking for it and unless you were expecting every single issue to be soaked with blood. Um, and it is still pretty violent. Yeah, no, it it's is. violent as like a commandy. If you, you know, commandy, I don't think anyone was ever really killed besides maybe an animal or something. I don't know, but I don't recall yeah. any like brutal deaths. And I don't I think you see yeah, that. yeah. Yeah, I think he pulled it off though. And I, I like, um, I, it's funny. I mean, I know this, at this point, this book is, uh, these issues are separate, you know, more than several years old, but, um, it's funny that doing an all ages book at, at this point is going against the grain. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it was when these were coming out too. Like it's sort of, it's that that's kind of seems like the opposite of what it should be, but to me, but whatever. <laughs> I mean, and to keep going. <laughs> also with these books, you know, they take on that kind of commandy vibe with the setup, like you were saying with you know, the box panels, no bleed pages. And you, you get those title pages and the chapter pages, and for the most part, Eric's kind of held on to those first page kind of giant titles. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I dig them. A few of these tropes have, yeah, stayed around. That's true for, you know, 100 issues now. And, and um, even though the book has been, you know, extremely, has gone through different extremely experimental uh, stages since then, most of these... Like the the title pages, uh, like you were saying, are are still around on almost every one. Right. I have a question. The cover of eighty one, and it appears in in the issue. That sea monster. That's the one from the Hellboy crossover, right? Yeah, the Grok. Yeah. Um. I was just wondering about that because he did seem familiar. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, those guys are great. I love those big lower jaws. So basically, in this era, it's it's dragons. You know, he's a fugitive. It's a, it's a new reality. You know, after '76, Cyberface is now known as King Khan, and he rules the Earth. The Earth is like a post-apocalyptic Earth. Cyberface rules all. You know, people live without electricity. Or, I think we learned um, later that that was only parts of the Earth, like Chicago and. Because I know other parts are just fine, or at least they aren't hellscapes like the surrounding area of Chicago is. Yeah, but I think for the most part, he kind of controls a lot of the area. If not, you know, I guess it'd probably be impossible to control the whole Earth. You'd always get pockets of it, but he does definitely have an influence over a lot of things and major governments and stuff like that. Right. Um, and, you know, Dragon's posters are plastered all over the place because I guess... He's you know, fugitive number one. He's a few, He tried to assassinate uh, Cyberface and it failed. Um, but basically his mind got swapped with the Dragon. His, his reality that was in 76, his mind from that reality got swapped with the Dragon from this reality he finds himself in, I believe, right? Yeah, that's 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 finally resolved in like issue. I want to say one hundred. Yeah, I think. like it, he. Damon Damon Dark Lord set up this whole thing where he needed Dragon from the original universe to come to the Savage World universe to save it so from he could Universal. Save the world. Right. And so he set up this whole thing where Dragon thought that by killing Damon Dark Lord as a baby in his reality. It caused a time paradox because adult Dark Lord is supposed to go back in time and cause a whole bunch of stuff with Super Tough and whatnot. 
Exactly. And so exactly. Dragon believed that he had destroyed his own reality by causing this time paradox, but eventually he finds out that there are two separate realities, and the Daemon Dark Lords of both universes set up this big plot to swap dragons. Right. Yeah. Dark Lord's pretty diabolical in that way. So in this episode, he's kind of waking up because he was chased all last episode by Cyberface and chased down to the bottom of uh, one of the Great Lakes, right? And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, guys. It's been a little while. And some sea monster kind of grabs his leg as he's running out of breath, right? And kind of pulls him through like a hole or whatever. And he wakes up in this issue. He's kind of just the first page you see is him just kind of just coming out of his unconsciousness. I find it kind of funny that Eric's uh, Atlantis is at the bottom of Lake Michigan. I think that's always been a well, I don't think it is. I, I mean... Well, isn't he supposed to be in Australia now? Like, it's it's sort of... Uh, I mean, he's in Atlantis, but he's going to Australia. He, well, he oh. went down for after the saucer in Lake Michigan, right? And then he yeah, right. went those... further and further down into the ocean. But they explain that the groks, those big sea monsters, bore holes throughout the earth to connect all the oceans. There you go. So if you look, he he fell to the bottom of Lake Michigan, and then because I want to say he crawls out of the 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 water, uh, this at the end of this issue, and next issue he is back in Illinois at least, because he runs into Rita, right? Or that might be a couple issues down. Yeah, well. One of the text boxes in this says, you know, he basically escaped from Cyberface and it led him to the bottom of Lake Michigan. And once I'd reached the bottom of that, I found myself getting whisked away in a tunnel that dumped me out to God knows where. So I'm assuming he got pulled by that monster through one of the rock tunnels and Atlantis is somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean or wherever. Yeah, you're you're right. You're right. I'm thinking of the issues that come after this where he's... With the bug riders in Australia. So it's hilarious because he finds himself in kind of like a human zoo in Atlantis. So everyone, you know, is breathes water and he's in this like tank with air with a bunch of other surface dwellers. And they're all kind of, the Atlanteans are kind of just looking at them in the cage. And, uh, you know, one of the Atlanteans comes in in a watertight suit into the to the air chamber and I don't know if he tries to like ask him questions or where he's from or whatever but they try to like talk sense into Dragon and Dragon's just like you know I'm not like some kind of monkey like I need to get out of here yeah and he uh he knocks out the guard and's like you know I I think at one point he talks to the humans is like yo let's get out of here you know we can we can make it to the surface and then he's totally shocked and they're like get out of here like hell no we're not going back up to the surface we don't want to go up to the surface we, we get you know there. we get fed and we're comfortable in our cage and you know up there is just destruction and he's just like you know you guys nuts but I thought that was hilarious that's it was you know it was I love issues of Savage Dragon where you know it's it's got that humor in it and that you know the way I'm saying it it's not that funny but when you read it it's pretty hilarious Dragon's reaction. Oh, John John Day John Day is one of the captives. I found him. Yeah, of course. So John. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> John Day is sitting in the the cell and again for those who don't know John Day appears in almost every issue of Savage Dragon. 
if you don't know, you know much about them, listen. That Eric has drawn previously. Too. Yeah, you can listen about it. Last issue we did, we talked extensively about it with Eric. But um, so they gas dragon and then bring him up to the head of Atlantis. Uh, they just call him the Atlantean, or what's his name? Oh, the Atlantean, I think. Impervious yeah. Rex, right? Something. Yeah, but doesn't he also go by the Atlantean at some point? Yeah, I think so. But yeah, Impervious Rex, who's, who's so always just kind of yeah, who's who's always just kind of ridiculous. <laughs> he, he thinks much more of himself than you know than uh, Dragon. Ever and he was. really is. Yeah. And so again, the Atlanteans kind of explain to Dragon that you know you can't go up there. We don't want anyone to find out we're down here. You know, there's a whole mess up on the surface with you know, Cyberface and aliens and the world's gone to hell and we don't want to bring it down here. So, sorry, buddy, you got to stay down here. Yeah. You know, Dragon's not having it. And then he turns around and Mako shows up in his awesome 70s duds, which I thought... Yeah, what's cool about this scene, too, is... I'm sorry. You, you, no, go ahead. It's, uh, I was just say, what's cool about this scene is that during this time, uh, just to reiterate... This is like this is not the Mako that we've known. This is like now that Dragon's in an alternate reality or an altered reality, and he's meeting these familiar characters. They're not necessarily always um, as close to the, you know, versions of those people that he'd known on his previous Earth that he lived on for you know seventy five issues and. Um, so it's cool just as a, you know, it's a re, this is sort of the reintroduction of Mako, and that's the character that when you see him for the first time, you're like, oh, shit, this guy is, like, you know, one of the really brutal villains from Savage Dragon, and here's his big, like, reintroduction. And uh, it's interesting to see where it's going to go because you have no idea, but uh, it's it's that's sort of what it felt like to read the right, first time. exactly, like, yeah. You know, and uh, the other cool thing about this issue is a lot of text boxes, but it's all it's written in this like noir style, like just dragging kind of talking about a situation and you know mm-hmm. making these funny quips in his narration. And, in the plus uh, column, I finally got something to eat. In the minus column, I hate sushi. <laughs> so uh, it's pretty cool to see that, you know. It's something that we didn't really see much. And then we see, uh, is it Maneater and what's... Uh, Gator. Gator and Maneater, which were two villains we, we, we first saw in Savage Dragon number one from the mini. The in one of the posters, yeah. 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 And, uh, you know, we hadn't seen anything about them ever after that. We saw all the other characters that appeared in that poster, but we never saw them. And they, they appeared in like a deadly duo series that... You know, Eric didn't draw or anything. I, did he write it? He probably wrote it, right? He, he wrote it, yeah. Yeah, but he didn't draw it. So this is the first time, and I think the last time we've seen them drawn by Eric. So they're they're kind of cool, and uh, I guess Man Eater's got some, you know, uh, he's got a mind control thing going on. Yeah, and we were talking about that line, which is hilarious. Where. She, you know, you see these sonar waves coming out of her head, and she's talking to Dragon. She's like, "I command you to fight against those that keep us captive." And Dragon just kind of looks at her and just like, "I command you to go fry an egg." And it's 
pretty hilarious. <laughs> mind control doesn't work on him. Um, so basically, they they battle each other, and it awakens the lava lords, um, who in turn just cause havoc all around them. And uh, one of these pages, if you know you guys are reading along at home, um, which I highly suggest, you know the way we go over these things. On page fifteen, the the top right um, top right uh, panel. I always love this panel. It almost reminds me of an Arthur Adams type page. Yeah. Page the way Dragon looks. I just think it looks so neat. I just love the way Eric drew this panel. It's so like Arthur Adams ish. It's you know it's really really cool looking. And even just the page before and the panel before that, the way the colors are and and the the Lantean flying right towards your screen. That's a gorgeous panel as well. Mm-hmm. But I I really you know of all you know is I'm, this the sorry you go ahead. I was just go saying ahead. it's that that panel of dragon that second panel for some reason it just resonates with me and just sticks out of you know a lot of the panels i've read in savage dragon this is one of my favorites for some reason it's not anything super spectacular it's not a splash page but it's got that arthur adams feel and i really like arthur adams artwork well it's cool it's good storytelling in that you know he has a small amount of space to convey like dragons jumping out of the way of these beams being hit but they're hitting man eater and he's taught he's thinking and she's screaming so there's all these things going on and a small amount of space to do it and it you don't even need to look at it for more than a second to understand all of that absorb all that information yeah and, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's just what you were saying are, is this the is this the last time that we've seen gator and me like were they? Did we see them in like Glum World at all? Do you think? Or I have no idea. I, I mean, I could be wrong. I don't recall ever seeing them again, or at least they've never played a part where they've had speaking parts. I don't think. Uh, I Gavin. Gavin. Yeah, if Gavin was here, he could <laughs> say something. I mean, I could look on the the Savage Dragon wiki, but that's okay. Um, not that also I also like how the Lava Lords balloon tails are are fiery. That's pretty sweet. I never noticed that before. And the yeah. balloons themselves look like they're made out of coal or something. That's cool. I'm looking at the the wiki, and yeah, it says appearances. The only appearance is a deadly duo three in Savage Dragon 81. Yeah. So it's funny because, you know, Eric thought enough of them to include them in that poster way back in the mini you know, and that poster is a great poster. It's got, like, the old-school-looking rock and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Vanguard and Wally and maybe Rapture and Lightning Bug or something. I don't know. But Rapture colored, really, really light skinned. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, I think uh, you know as we go on, the Groks come out and they start attacking the Lava Lords, and it's just chaos. And then you see kind of Mako heading straight for a Dragon, and. Uh, Eric's got one of those classic close-up panels of, like, dragon's eye wide open, like, oh, shit, he's coming right towards me. And, uh, you know, like you were saying, we all know Mako is, like, the vicious man-eater, and you think he's going right for dragon, and it's, you know, he, he flies right, he swims right by him and uh, goes straight for uh, Impervious Rex mm-hmm. and totally takes his head off or whatever. 
Yeah, which is another cool thing because this was also uh, not just the reintroduction of Mako, but the reintroduction of Impervious Rex in the Savage World. You know, and we'd previously seen the Atlantean several times in the in the original uh, Dragon World, and he you know caused trouble for the Special Operations Strike Force and, and stuff, and and it's cool to see a character get reintroduced and killed off immediately. Yeah. Because you already have some familiarity with them, and you're like, oh, this guy is kind of important, or he's this, like, you know, I remember him playing this role before, and then, it, you know, he's sort of established, like, okay, he's still the king and, and stuff, but then you go, oh, we're not going in that direction this time. Right. Oh, my God. Oh, different. my God. I just noticed this. Impervious Rex has a hook foot. Yeah. Yeah, isn't that awesome? <laughs> That's what I would have if I was a merman with no foot. Yeah, instead of Aquaman with a hook hand. Yeah. But um, and again, you know, we talked about the style of this, how everything's, you know, there's no bleeds or anything, and it it's really got that kind of '70s vibe with the smaller panels, and like you mentioned before, you got it, you know, everything's all tightened up in the smaller panels. But I don't think again, Eric's works ever look better with these. All, all the stuff going on on these little panels. It's just like a feast for your eyes. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast and you didn't read, you know, the Savage Dragon run, um, I mean, the, the Savage it. World run, pick up 70, at least 76 through 81 or get them digitally. Take a look at them. It's just, I, yeah, I don't think, just gorgeous. yeah, I don't think Eric's work has ever looked better than in these issues. And it's just, there's a lot going on. It's so fun. I have a like I really think for me it's it's just the enthusiasm thing because I I like a lot of his experimenting and a lot of the different styles that he tries but yeah but I tend to like it more when he's like clearly excited about what he's doing yeah which I think you could say about any artist probably but right. uh, just you know this is one of those things where it was like you know Commandy's probably his all time favorite comic you know outside of I don't know the some of those Captain Marvel books and and. Commandy spoke to, he's talked a lot about how much it influenced him and, and taught him about, you know, just telling exciting, uh, straightforward stories. And, and uh, so, you know, to, to sort of play in that sandbox a little bit, I think, was um, obviously a good time. Right, right. So, yeah, I mean, uh, I guess to wrap it up, that. You know, is the the battle is going on? Uh, you know, uh, impervious Rex is taken out by Mako and just kind of tossed headless or whatever. And Eric's, I know, Savage Dragon is going to escape, and the Grok's kind of chasing him, and he's on his tail. And you know, panel by panel, you see the Grok's getting closer and closer to to Dragon, and Dragon's you know kind of panicking. And then he turns around, and the Grok's gone, and he's like, oh. Yeah what the hell happened? How, how did I get away? And then there's kind of like almost like a flashback panel that shows that Mako actually bit the Grok to, to kind of spare Dragon's life. And at that point, you know, like you said, we don't know. We always think, you know, of Mako as kind of a bad guy in here. Starts to open our eyes that maybe this isn't the same, you know, version of Mako. Right, because when we're introduced to Mako, like in the series... We're introduced to him as he's the vicious circle guy who bit Super Patriot to hell. Like he bit, he ate his arms and legs. He bit off his face. Like that's why Super Patriot was turned into a cyborg. 
yeah. it is because Mako basically ate him. And uh, he's, so he's pretty nasty. Well, and, and even in this and, issue, I mean, we just saw him two pages yeah. ago rip off the face of, you know, the king of Atlantis. So we're still well, we like... also Yeah, we also do get that hint, though, later in the series that, like, especially when he gets turned into a human... Uh, and and I don't know if that's 74 or 75. Like, I guess it's 75 because it's when the Nega bomb goes off, um, or whatever that's called. But yeah, he gets turned into a human. Then he wants to join the like assault on Dark Lord's base. Yeah. And and he's established himself by that time as he's a bad guy, but he's not a bad guy who lock like marches in lockstep with all of the vicious circle goons. Right. Uh, he's he, he's he's kind of has his own agenda. He's one of the cooler characters in Savage Dragon. I'm glad that Eric's kind of kept him around. And I mean, I think, you know, by putting him in stories like this, and I wish Eric, it seems like lately he doesn't give that time to a lot of his characters. He's got, you know, like five or six Vicious Circle guys that he's given a lot of personality to. And I wish he would do that more in his comics, um, is give the villains more of personalities instead of just making them throw away. Mm. but um mako is one of them where you know again this the last you get to the last page of this issue and he's kind of coming out of the ocean and you see that he's been hiding away on a deserted island with dart you know i guess hiding from cyberface but that they're like friends you know and they're they're heroes and i don't know if you know we don't know at this point if they have a relationship or what which is kind of weird because he's Go, giant shark head yeah it's hinted that they, there is a relationship here and, and this was really like kind of the reveal of this issue and you're like because again this is the first time we've seen dart in this new world and you're like oh wow things played out really differently here right right than they did on the you know world that we were familiar with and it's cool because it's you know he's not he's not taking these characters and turning them into people that they're not which i think a lot of you know like that the new kind of shazam looks mm-hmm. to be uh, uh he's taking the characters and putting them in different circumstances and going you know their lives would have turned out differently because they're still the same people they were but they're in different you know their lives go down different paths and and it's really fascinating stuff and, and uh, i mean you know you kind of had to be there i think the first time you read this and and, and be, be like have that reveal to to sort of um for it to have the have meaning on that in that level but um. of course for me this was actually problem probably my first introduction to both mako and dart so it's kind of an interesting circumstance yeah on the other hand you've seen you've seen him become evil again right exactly and honestly mako's story since this since this basically since this reveal has been one of the more fascinating character arcs in Savage Dragon, in my opinion. Yeah. Mako's rise and fall post-issue 75. He's a, He always reminds me of, like, what the thing would be if the thing was evil. You know, he just mm-hmm. wants to be human. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't want to be... I don't know if he... I guess he doesn't want to be human. Or does he? He does want to be human, right? He, he, he wants to be able to turn between them. Yeah. But yeah. But, he on. wants the power, yeah. but he doesn't necessarily want to be a freak, I guess. Right. I, it, 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 I don't know. Mako is an interesting character because he wants to be a lot of things. and 
Well, it's like yeah, every, so he is. every other villain gets hit by some kind of cosmic power or radiation. They just look human with muscles. You know, this poor bastard, you know, I, I think his story was, you know, he got changed by nuclear radiation while swimming near sharks or something. And He got bitten by a shark. Oh, all right. Zero. <laughs> well, but, but I don't ever know what ground zero means. Ground zero of what? Like, I, I guess it's enough of an explanation. Does he ever say? That yeah, who knows? It's just so... But. <laughs> It's funny. No, but no, it's cool because he does have a little bit more depth in that it's, he's not just, this is clearly just a guy who's been dealt a bad, bad hand yeah, he's in life. A, he's you know, a, like that issue with him fighting Angel and Malcolm and yeah. they break down all these buildings and it turns out he's trying to find his mom. Yeah. In the, like, he's just a tragic character, you know, his yeah, circumstances. Exactly, exactly. And, and he's kind of cartoonish and he starts out as being so vicious, but um, I like that he's given that depth. Well, I agree. I'd like to see more guys have that depth. And he just gets screwed, you know. It's like even, mm-hmm. you know, and this is gonna spoil it for people who haven't read it. But if you haven't read it, it's too bad because it's been out for years now. Is when you know he's fighting Savage Dragon and he goes to like really wind up and punch Dragon, totally misses and just explodes Dart's head with full contact to her face. Yeah. You know, he just just punches her. He's head like the unluckiest character. <laughs> yeah, it's just like. You know, and, you know, I think that was kind of like, you know, Eric always talks about, like, he doesn't get the Venom character. Like, you know, Eddie Brock never really had a huge reason to hate Spider-Man. And, you know, he did with Mako what should have been done with Venom, you know. Like, you know, Mako has a huge reason to hate, you know, uh, Dragon. You know, he actually had Dart, which, you know, he loved and... You know, it was like Beauty and the Beast, and yeah. he's fighting Dragon, and, you know, if dra- if he wasn't fighting Dragon, he never would have accidentally killed Dart, so. Right, so you got a heaping helping of, like, you know, I hate Dragon for making me do this, plus I hate myself for doing this. Right, know? right, he's like, just a it, pitiful guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's, uh, that's 81, in a little more than a nutshell, but, uh. A great book and like I said if, if guys listening to this have haven't picked it up um, I strongly suggest checking out you know the Savage World series either digitally or the trade I think it's volume 15 in the trades is that correct um, or just find the single issues in the back issue bins well worth your time yeah yeah so, um, next episode, I hope we'll be um, taking a look at Savage Dragon 180. We'll be out, hopefully, in the near future. Uh, probably Supreme 65 will be around at some point. In, I mean, uh, I think it's been a couple weeks since 64, so maybe first week of June it'll be out, and we'll have that to review as well. Um, I think, uh, is it... 180 is the next one, is that right? The next episode. Yes, 180. Yeah, and Conclusion that's the, to the invasion. Yeah, that that's going to be interesting. Yeah. It's it's been a while since we had a new Savage Dragon, so I'm uh Yeah. That cliffhanger of the, of of 179 has kind of been hanging there for a very for a good while now, almost a month and a half, two months. Yeah, that's right. What was the cliffhanger again? Remind me. Angel wants to jump Malcolm's bones. Uh. (laughs) (laughs) 
So we'll have that to do. So I think that about wraps it up. Well, that has been uh, Savage Fincast, Episode 6. Um, we thank you for tuning in. We hope to have you back next time. Um, just a reminder of our various uh, links to various things we uh, su- support and run. Um, Dragonfan.net, the one-stop shop for all of your Savage Dragon and Eric Larson news. Get them on your RSS uh, reader, and you will never be wanting for news. Um, if you ever want to check out the Savage Dragon Wiki with a uh, a lot, a lot, a lot of uh, character write-ups, character bios, issue uh, summaries, it can be found at savagedragonwiki.wikispaces.com. And of course, um, you can find the Savage Fincast if you haven't found our website yet. If you're listening to this through iTunes, at uh, fincast.guttertrash.net. Um. If you want to contact us, suggest any back issue bin issues you'd like us to uh, review, or just have any comments, questions, anything that you'd like to t- have us talk about, you can contact us at savagefincast at gmail.com.